business owners likely will have only one shot to sell a business. Most don't understand what drives value and how buyers look at a business. Until now. Welcome to the How to Sell a Business podcast, where every week we talk to the subject matter experts, advisors, and those around the deal table about how to sell at maximum value. Every business will go to sell one day. It's only a matter of when. We're glad you're here. The podcast starts now. Rock Lamana, he is known as the deal flow guy. And he probably doesn't remember when we met, but what struck me by him, about him, I should say, that we were at a conference together and there's probably 300 people and and we're all at these round tables. And he went, he went from table to table asking, how could he help? You know, he was, he was, he specialized in the printing industry. How could he help? And that struck me that, you know, number one, it takes a lot of courage to, to do that. And, you know, here at this conference and for him to do that, it, it was a telling, you know, telling about what kind of character he was. So let me just share with you a little bit about him. Um, you know, he has been, He's a professional matchmaker in the printing industry. He's been bringing independent businesses and private equity groups together to facilitate win-win deals. Um, he has done, while he, he has, I've known him more in the printing industry. He's worked in, in all kinds of industries. One of the things, and you'll hear in this podcast that, you know, he helps and coaches sellers establish trust, trust between them and the buyers. And he talks about trans transparency and, and he's a coach. I mean, that's, that's really what he does. He comes alongside of, of buyers and helps buyers work with sellers. And he coaches the sellers to understand what exactly buyers are looking for when they're buying the print print related business. So Rock is the CEO of Lamana Consulting Group. His purpose is to assist business owners to buy, sell, and grow goals. Rock brings synergistic businesses to private private equity to buy and successfully close the deals. He finds the right buyers for the business owner ready to move on. And the right buyer is the one that shares core values and has the funds to make it happen. And lastly, this is a this is great about him. He is a fourth generation entrepreneur. He's in the in certainly he being in the family business, he he knows firsthand, you know, just what it takes to to be an entrepreneur in a family business and how to exit. So <clears throat> I'm certain you know, you'll enjoy you know, regardless of whether you're you're into the printing industry or not, I am certain you'll enjoy my conversation with Rock Lamana, the Deal Flow guy. Welcome to the show, Rock Lamana. How are you? I'm awesome, man. Today is a day. It's always great to talk deals and business. Well, it, it is, and and I probably didn't do your introduction justice. Um, but you know, I've been trying to get you on the podcast for a while now. So I guess I, from a high level, just, just the quick overview of Rock Lamont and the deal flow guy. 
Well, I would I would say basically after 48 years, this is my 48th year in doing deals. Yeah. Not only for family business, I was in manufacturing my first 25 years. Yeah. In St. Paul, Minnesota, and I had two businesses, and I was a connector. I was a deal maker uh, at the time in the family business. Bought the family business, and I'm one of 11 children, so that was a five year sure. transaction. And then uh, I got involved with uh, uh, an angel, uh, venture capitalist, nice. that uh, teamed up with me. And then he decided to go family office and bought me out after three oh, years. Nice. So I said, okay, what am I going to do at under 40? What am I yeah. going to do? I got three kids, and what am I going to do with my future? So it took me 19 months to really make something happen. And so what I started to do is I'm a, a born and created sales guy yeah. and uh, started connections with 3M internationally. And I had great accounts, great relationships after 25 years and then uh, sold my second yep. operation and then basically got in, moved to Florida. So it's been 20 years, Good 2003. Good and you. I decided, hey, you know what? I could do this for a living. So this is what I'm doing, doing deals. Well, you know what? It, it was, it's been a, uh, it's been wonderful to get to know you. And, um, I'm it, it, certainly, I, I love the, the, all the work you're doing in the printing industry. And, and so let's, let's talk a little bit about what it seems as though from where I'm sitting, you know, that the industry is under consolidation, you know, what, you know, where is this going and who are going to be the winners? Well, my focus is basically when a win-win is a good deal. Okay. Sure. And when you talk about consolidation, consolidation has been going on for years in the printing industry. Why? Technology, of course. Okay. You know, mm -hmm. digitalization, media, uh, less print. And, but basically print is never going to go away. So as a consolidation is a lot of it is baby boomers. Okay. It's the founders that after 30 years, 40 years have decided to sell their business or exit, or there's got to be some type of transition. Yeah. And when you talk about who the winners are, it could be both, both the yeah. buyer and the seller. Yeah. But I was looking at, so who are the buy, who are the buyers, you know, cause, because the, the consolidation, I, I'm assuming that, you know, like any other industry consolidation, you know, you, you have some behemoths that are coming in and, you know, they're, they're kind of setting, setting the bar. And then you have a second tier that, you know, I don't want to say picking up the scraps, but they're, they're in, in the mix too. So, so, who, and I, and again, I'm, I'm saying that in a generality, but I'm not mm -hmm. certain from a, from a printing industry standpoint. So who are the buyers? All right. So first of all, you have to understand the printing industry Consists of suppliers, right? Inks, yep. paper, and so on. Okay. Supply chain. Then you got uh, uh, commercial printers. You have book printers. You have embroidery and specialty printing on textiles and so on, right? You got yep. different technologies coming out. Uh, you have environmental issues. Okay. You have uh, uh, talent to be discussed. And you talk about strategic buyers. Now, who are the buyers of today? Let's just talk about 22, 23 now, 2022, yep. 2023. Our buyers that we entertain that are 90% of our business, okay, 
are private equity. So what motivates private yeah, what motivates private equity to 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 get into into this? Because you know, it, it seems as though from a from a predictability standpoint, mm-hmm. you know, printing doesn't it doesn't scream, you know, you know, recurring revenue and, and, and all the buzzwords that you often associate with private equity. So why are they getting into it? Okay, let's talk about that. What about custom meat? Do they actually print? No. They outsource everything. How about Vistaprint? Same thing. How about stamps.com? Okay. All these people, these are businesses. This is technology. And you're talking worldwide now. Okay. You're talking about people in Europe, now buying in the United States, South America. We have Japanese uh, uh, emerging into the, our, our industry, all right, in the United States, buying businesses. But when I think printing, I'm thinking labels. Look at your uh, your yeah. medications. Like at my age, I got medications. You got labels. How about when you uh, uh, print out uh, a boarding pass? Everything is printed, okay, eventually. Walk through the grocery, okay? Look at the baggage. Look yeah. at We call that flexible packaging. And that flexible packaging from plastic is now going to paper, okay? Cardboard, carton. Look at uh, our good friends, uh, Amazon. They just invested $500 million in printing equipment. And they're still outsourcing billions. And for them to even print in-house, they may never be able to do it. You see? see, because it takes talent. So that's... And you got to remember, our mm-hmm. R. R. Donnelly was a three and a half billion dollar business that just went private equity. Okay, I get it, but you know, I, I say I get it, but I, but again, I'm I'm looking at it from from the motivation of private equity that mm-hmm. you know I'm trying to buy the business, enhance it, and then exit. Right. That's mm-hmm. kind of the, the, the mode. So how, how, how does that, you know, what, I don't want to say, what am I looking for, but I'm still, I'm still a little foggy on, you know, am I buying market share? Am I buying customers? What, what exactly is the motivation behind buying, buying printing when it seems as though statistically speaking, you know, the, the industry is continuing to contract. You know what I'm saying? Uh, I do, and it's pretty much common knowledge, but you have to understand what we're talking about. Okay. You and I have talked about Main Street for years, right? Business sure. brokerage. Yeah. Well, today, it's about mergers and acquisitions. Yeah. That's the term, the jargon that we use, and it's all professionals. But what their deal here is you need to, it went from five years ago, a million dollar EBITDA, which we all know, Okay. First of all, you gotta, that's kind of like your threshold to even be a minimum to even entertain. Well, guess what's happened in the last 24 months? That minimum threshold now for a, a seller mm-hmm. needs to be between three and five million dollars. Okay. Mm-hmm. And there's companies that are out there at 20 million dollars EBITDA. Okay. So guess what the buyers are looking at? When people buy a business, it's for the potential of the business. Sure. And they have a strategy. 
They're not sharing it with the seller. Sure. The seller's sure. always got the 30, 40 years of history saying, look what I've done. My family business, look what I did. Right. That's not the way it's done today. It's shared and you're really dealing from entrepreneurs that have a mindset of technology or uh, 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 innovation. Well, those days are over. Now it's down to finance. Now, the first time you're going to be looked at, and this is what we do best, is we vet the buyers. Who's a really buyer? Because even private equity, I don't know if you're aware, 70 to 80% of deals fail. What do they mean by 70 to 80% the deals fail? That's after the acquisition, no integration, no experience, and so on. Mm-hmm. Those days are over too because they're looking at PE is looking at certainty and no risk. Yeah, yeah. So I, I, there's I get... no really consolidation. Well, okay, the consolidation yeah. is basically with labels and packaging because that's what's hot right now. Yeah, Why? I... Because the margins are great. And understand this. I gotta say one more thing. You're looking at the typical private equity ex- exiting five to seven years. Most companies today, they buy and hold. For an example, Taylor Corporation, privately held company, $3.5 billion in sales, okay? And what they do is the merger and acquisition, they can't get enough. And they're diversifying with those acquisitions, okay? Sure. Well, and, and again, I mean, I can see it. I mean, they're, buy, they're buying revenue. I can, I can see someone like them, their motivation. I, I guess I'm... I'm I guess the question I'm I'm looking at getting or getting getting your thoughts on is it seems as though there's different tiers, mm-hmm. all right? That you know you're talking about three to five million in EBITDA and then some moving up to twenty. But you know, start at your what do the, the folks from a half a million to three million do? Okay. You know, uh, who who are those buyers? Because I think it just, you know, it's almost like the snowball effect, you know, that you've got this tier of buyers that get bought by the next tier of buyers that get bought by the tailors of the world, you know? Well, to answer that, it's, it's, and that's one of the reasons why we're more of an advisor to less than a million in EBITDA. Mm-hmm. Sure. We're basically trying to coach these first-time sellers, understand that, their first, these are usually the founders. Yeah. And they were ambitious. Uh, maybe they were doing work like doing t shirts or embroidery or something like that while they were in college. They decide to sell their business. Why? Yeah. It's starting to get, it's starting to grow. Yeah. And what's happening with the smaller guy, the first time seller, they're in a way non sophisticated. They run their business sure. in a way as if it's a family business. And they're looking at all the aspects of not they're working in the business versus on the business. So how do we help these guys and people? Because that's what it is. How do we help these people sell their business? Because eventually they have options. And I will tell you this. Many clients of mine that are less than a million of ours, I should say, less than a million dollars. Always look at it and go, hold it, man. Uh, I can't live on that. I'm going to build it. I'm going to grow it. Hmm. But what they don't know is they've already spent 20 years trying to grow it. And it's getting harder and harder today to get the talent and the commitment, the clients, right? Because the client today, 
There's a lot of competition out there. And who's creating the competition? Private equity. But they're not going after the little stuff. They're going after, like you say, the reoccurring business, the growth, yeah. and the different strategies. And they are also partnering with people with exclusive contracts. So once you get a contract, sure. they're not going to depend on a, a million dollar or less deal to get a contract. It's very yeah. difficult. I get it. So as we talk about sellers, you know, we often, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm speaking in an event next week and, and I was thinking about what I was going to share with the audience about sellers. And, and, you know, I have a, a, you know, a short list of, of why sellers are having some of the challenges and, then, and it spans all industries, but I'm, I'm curious to know in the printing industry, what, when the sellers are going to the market, what are they lacking? First of all, they're not prepared. They are not prepared. They don't mm -hmm. have their or their finances in organized. Uh, they don't have the right team. What I mean by a team mm -hmm. is a uh, uh, advisor, maybe even a broker. Okay. Sure. Uh, but you have to be specialized in that industry. You can't be a generalist and make it happen. And the other thing that they don't have, they they usually don't look at. Because they look at it as an expense. A small business owner looks at things as cost. A broker is a cost. Yep. Okay. Uh, an attorney, you need an attorney. That's a cost. You ask about uh, challenges. The other item is tax advice. How many people will go out and hire a tax advisor? Sure. But here's the biggest issue that they're not prepared for. And this is what we really try to help, Ed. Mm -hmm. is the emotional aspect of a sale. Yeah. It's 80 to 90% of emotion, okay? Because they're really not what I would call strategists. Yeah. They really don't know the process. And the challenge is they will turn their back on me, for example, and say, Rock, I just can't invest my time and energy to do it. And they'll walk away. We call it go, go dark. And when they go bark dark on it, they call you in two, three years later and yeah. go, you know, Rock, I tried to grow it. I just can't do it. And guess what happened to their EBITDA? Oh, guess 100%. what happened to their people? Yeah. And once people start marketing their business and let it be known in the industry, suppliers and so on, is the, con the confidentiality is critical. Yeah. And they don't understand that because once you're considered for sale, your competition will come in. They'll bash you. They'll try to buy your book of business. And that's a big term now, yeah. book of business. Right. And the other challenge is nobody wants to sell on an earnout. And you know what an earnout is, right? Yeah, but our audience probably may not know. So talk a little bit about earnouts. Uh, earnout basically is a proposal and an offer with no cash, many times no cash down, okay? Because I'm not dealing with the SBA and a lot of our clients will not – uh, uh, go out for an SBA. You're not buying a business you're, or a job. Yeah. You're basically investing in a job. Most of our clients today, even small, don't want to go in and invest in their time and effort. They do right. it overseas. It's like Shark Tank. They just want to oversee right. the business. So an earnout basically is, hey, listen, you said that you're going to make $500,000 net income a year we will give you a portion of that until we pay you at your uh, uh, agreed upon price. And you know what? 
People don't like that. Uh-huh. And my recommendation is cash. Even if there's a cash discount, walk away and don't look back for these smaller businesses. Well, no, and, and and again, the 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 if then financing, you know, there's some there's some special circumstances where it might be effective, but but our guidance has always been assume that you're never going to get it. It's all it's all gravy that you know it but to sell at a hundred percent earn out that's a that's a that's a tough road to, to hoe. Yeah. Um one of the things you know when you and I met, you were talking about the three T's. Uh, can you talk a little bit about about that to the audience? Yes. It's three T's is basically after 48 years of being in the industry. I've learned that you really need to, number one T is trust. Okay. And not only trusting your cell team that you need to select, you need to personally be trusted. No, that's <laughs> by a the point. potential no. buyers. That's a a lot of people don't look at that. They go, well, I don't trust this guy. Well, do they trust you? Okay. Yeah. And before we even introduce them, the the key is I have to vet both the buyer and the seller. So I have to trust yeah. both the buyer and the seller that this may be a potential fit. So T. One is trust. Yep. And that includes chemistry, integrity, and so on. And I call it professional services. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of these deals have to be licensed on some part. Real mm-hmm. estate and so on. Okay. Sure. Thin route for the bigger deals. Uh, number two is transparency. You have to be completely transparent as a seller of your finances, mm-hmm. of uh, uh, due diligence, because believe me, when people come in and look at your records and look at your finances that you supplied, this is basically under oath yeah. that you're, you're, you're supplying this data. Very important. That's why I always yeah. believe evaluation, third-party valuation is critical in investment in the data because that's the number. Because a lot of people don't even have a CFO yeah. or even a CPA on staff. Are you seeing control. As it relates to the, uh, the second T, do you, are you seeing um, more and more people doing quality of earnings analysis? Yes. Yeah. Yes, yeah. definitely. Okay. Definitely. And basically, my team, I don't do all the heavy work. I basically outsource all that to the professionals. Yeah, okay. Okay. But I do control the project. No, no, no. I get it. Okay. I get it. I, I was just curious. It, yes. it seems as though that there – I had um, – um, a fellow by the name of Elliot Holland from um, Guardian Due Diligence, and you know his business is just a just a rocket ship right now yeah. with all the quality of earnings work that he's doing uh, around the country. So, at any rate, that uh, I was just curious if if that fell into bucket number or T bucket number two, right? And it sounds like it does. So, what's T right. bucket number three? Number three is timeline. Okay, and the timeline is. buyer. Buyer is the one that makes things happen. Okay. Because once you have a term sheet, there's always a discussion on that. That's if there's even interest, right? Sure. But that could happen very quickly. 
I see introduction, phone call, second meeting of the minds. Yep. Second of all, within a week, we'll have a term sheet for you. Okay, yep. boom. There's a there's a commitment. There's a promise there. Yep. And guess what happens with the seller? Rock, I haven't received anything. Rock, yep. I haven't <laughs> received anything. Right. Patience, man. Discipline and patience. And then the term sheet is negotiated maybe even two weeks yeah. because that is the structure. Then you got to talk about uh, a stock purchase, asset purchase. And if we're talking about smaller deals, it's less time. Sure. Okay. And it's less communication and so on. But there's always a cost of an investment of time and money to bring in the pros to do it right. Sure. Okay. And then, uh, of course, an LOI. And an LOI could take, could take weeks. Sure. Because what happens is the sophisticated seller is going to send it to their attorney, their tax advisor, and really look at post-transaction. What is really my net? Damn. And what am I going to do during the due diligence process and so on? So that timeline today, the fastest deal I've done that's been over, uh, uh, over, let me see here. That would be, uh, seven, eight figures. Okay. Would take at 62 days oh, from introduction cool. to close. Why? Yes. Because both the buyer and seller were prepared. Sure. Okay. I get it. And they all have professional teams. Usually after the CEO and the CEO get together, the owner and the buyer, they make a, a, a basically a promise to each other that we're going to do this deal. Here it is. Guess who takes over? The attorneys. Yeah. The attorneys take over and then they start talking to people like us and so on is, okay, who's part of this sure. purchasing agreement and who gets paid and disbursements, et cetera, et cetera. So sure. it's, so it's, uh, Trust. Trust, transparency, timeline. Yep. So are you seeing what, as, as you and I both know, time kills all deals. So when you were talking timeline, one of the things that I, that has been happening a lot or that I've been reading, that's been happening a lot. I haven't seen nearly it in our shop, but you know, we're seeing a lot of, or hearing a lot about retrading. People that, you know, you get in, you do some due diligence, you know, or better yet, you anchor the price, right? So it's a competitive bid situation. I get in here, I anchor the price, I start doing due diligence, and now I start whittling the price down. And I'm just curious to know whether or not you're seeing that in the the printing industry and what are you doing to offset that? Well, <laughs> it's funny you mention that. Yeah, yeah, because... <laughs> It happens to our competition. Mm -hmm. Why? Because our competition are transaction sales guys. They don't have the experience that I have. They don't know how to walk the, the, the buyer and the seller comfortably, smoothly through the process. Now, I heard a horror story recently mm -hmm. in the printing industry that it took nine months for this private equity group to under LOI, no exclusive, but he didn't shop it. The brokers basically use it as an auction, which is a bad thing, right? To me, an auction is a bad thing for the seller. Why? Because you're letting the world know you're for sale, okay? And the data is being exchanged. Even if there's an NDA, people talk in the industry, okay? 
So what happens after nine months? They get to the, the table and they go, you know what? The uh, traveling 12 months has dropped. Right. We see the next 12 months is how do you see it? We don't believe it. And by the way, here's our offer. You know what they say? We call that a walk away. No, thank you. Walk away. Guess what happened? Trust. 100%. But, uh, Trust. But on the other but side. But it happens. It's, right. What I'm saying is it happens. And unfortunately, you know, we see, you know, a lot of sellers are, you know, the, you have that deal fatigue and you're sitting there going, you know what? My God, yeah. I've just spent nine months with this guy. I'm trying to retire and, you know, screw it. Let's just, let's just get the deal over. And I, you know, I, like like I said, I, I I had read an article that twenty five percent of deals get retraded, and and that's an alarming to me is an alarming statistic, especially if you have representation. You know, I I can understand, you know, if you're going at it alone, you don't know you don't know what what you don't know until you're in it. But with with the retrade, to me, it's it's just especially when you're going if there's an equity rollover piece or the 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 seller is going to transition for a period of time it just seems like boy that is just a bad way to start a new relationship you know what i mean well it happens in my world too the m&a mm-hmm. world okay yeah. but i'll say this this is where the trust comes in you need to vet these potential buyers, even though they said, hey, we're a $150 million private equity, we have a platform, we're going to yeah. buy you out. Uh-uh. You know why? Because there's a committee of stakeholders that makes that decision. And if it's standard, by the way, what you just explained, it's standard in the industry for what I call the scammers. Yeah. They're scammers, I, I they're schemers. And you got to know how to walk away. And this is why we condition and prepare our clients that, listen, you better be ready, willing, and able to do this deal because when it happens, but we'll prepare you for it. But if my buyer, who are 90% of our clients, come to me and say, Rock, you know what? We're going to walk away from this deal. Tell me why. So I can explain it to the seller who basically hired us as a consultant and soulmate because we get paid many times by both the buyer and the seller, but the success fee is by the buyer in our world, not uh-huh. the seller. Sure. No, I get it. And attorneys are involved. In this one case I just told you about, after nine months, guess what the fee, the legal fee alone on the seller was $220,000. Oh, sure. What's in his head? Yeah, two twenty. Yeah. That's standard. A buyer with private equity, Private equity is what kind of financing? It's called OPM, other people's money. Sure. They spend one and a half million dollars to do a deal, the due diligence, lawyers, and so on. And this guy's 220. You see? There's two million dollars in legal fees and professional fees. People don't take that into account, but who's your partner on the seller? Right. No, your partner is is Uncle Sam. That's the other thing they underestimate. No, hundred percent. But like I said, my 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 issue is you know when you let so much time go, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden you now you now you have a twelve thirty one close, and you know what? Let's 
you know, we, we missed the date. Now it's, all right, let's wait to your, let's, let's take a look at your tax return. And then we wait for something else. And then you're saying, well, what's the trailing 12 months? And it gives, it gives merit to, Hey, we need to retrade, not, not rec. The, the, the real challenge is that the seller is spending all this time, energy and effort providing all this, all the information that the buyer is, is wanting. And, you know, naturally they take their foot off the, the, the gas in order to facilitate that happening. And that, and that's, that's what I was referring to from a, just a, that's just bad form to, to, to retrade like that, you know? Ed, Ed, I'm going to tell you something right now. You as a facilitator and the coach on your seller, if you're focused on your seller, that's your client, that you're representing the client and your firm, you don't allow it. No, no, 100%. You can't allow it. No. And you should never work with that seller again. I mean, buy it. No, well, you know, from, yeah, from our standpoint, it's, you know, there's some there's some pretty aggressive timelines that that we put together, and if you're not going to make them, then maybe you're not the right candidate right. for exactly. the business. Um, let's talk valuation. I mean, are are everybody wants to know you know what what their business is worth, and I and I I, I really enjoy your process when we talked about how how you work, and and I know you spend a lot of time on 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 valuation. I guess I'm I'm curious to know. What are you seeing with multiples? And I know they vary across the board depending on where and what kind of business, what kind of printing related business. But I mean, is there anything that, that you can offer that, that you're seeing that either A, you know, this is what you're, you should be, <laughs> this is what you're getting yourself into, or you know what? Maybe you ought to hold off for a little bit and let's, let's let, uh, you know, the multiples recover or now's the absolute best time? Well, times have changed in the last 24 months tremendously. Amen to that. There was a huge move by private equity in my world, which is labels, a package, mm-hmm. and so on. Uh, the commercial print of, you know, brochures and yeah. and uh, labels, uh, not labels, but uh, 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 real estate, signage and so on. The standard was in a way in our industry doesn't matter is a multiple of four of whatever your EBITDA or your net income was. Okay. Well, it's gone all the way up to 10. I've heard 12. I've heard 14. Okay. It all depends. How do you pencil that out? I mean, pencil it's it's hard. No, that's exactly. When people come to me and say, yeah, "Yeah, they heard it's a, you know, a 10, 15, 20. They heard, they heard. And I'm like, well, explain how in the world you can make financial sense out of that. Well, those are the guys that basically possibly have to get a fantastic business. Okay. That has a niche. And we're all talking about niche. Okay. Yeah. I talk, I talk about niche. Yeah. Okay? Sure. And, and when you see, you can't justify it. I but guess it. what? Five years from now, what happened? Right. And don't forget who's pissed. The stakeholders. Sure. Because they didn't turn around. They didn't turn it around. I, I okay? get it. So, so you're asking about multiples in the printing world. The standard is for this year. I would say I've heard two. Okay. Really? Oh yeah. Those are what we call distressed businesses. Sure. Right? They just went out. 
And you got strategic buyers out there with petty cash saying, we're talking about small deals, yeah. less than $5 no. million. Dollars, yeah, okay? I get it. Hey, here, I'll give you $2 million. You walk away. Sure, sure. I take care of everything. And I get the building. You see what I mean? I do. I mean, it's terrible. Well, I mean, but but let's let's talk about multiples and how it's happened. Yeah. Multiples isn't the key. The key is, like you were saying, the valuation, because we come out with our valuation process. We have the experience, the knowledge, and not only quantitative data yeah. that's accurate, reliable, but we also recommend our knowledge and experience and expertise of what the multiples are going for, because these are all private, privately held companies. Sure. Okay. Then you negotiate. It's not the multiple. We ask, what is your asking price? We take the asking price and we provide it for the buyer and say, here, here's the asking price. Then they work it backwards because they're going to do their own financial calculations anyway. Right. The seller needs evaluation, the third party to prove that these numbers are right. Yeah. Okay. I get it. So my feeling here is uh, the last couple of deals that we've done in the industry are in an eight range. Okay. Sure. On the eight range. But I'm working on other deals that are bigger. Have they dropped? They've dropped in the last 24 yeah. months. Well, yeah. And I'm, you know, I think that a lot of business owners, you know, especially family owned businesses, I mean, it, it's still a lifestyle business and it's generating income and it's a, it's a, it's a good, it's a good business for either, you know, Gen 1, Gen right. 2, and maybe moving to Gen 2. On the Main Street side, I, I I do know that there's there's still a lot of activity for that. And as you move up the food chain, like I was saying, it, it seems as though one eats the other eats the other. Um, but one of the things that I guess from a, a value standpoint is I'm I'm curious to know if you're seeing like fractional sales, meaning. I'm going to sell my equipment one place and I'm going to sell my customer list the other. I know that years ago that was a that was a decent way to 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 sell. I mean, is it coming back around based on what we've seen the last, you know, couple of years? I would say I've seen it. I've even recommended it. What was the what, criteria for you to recommend it? Uh just like that. They just gave up. They're yeah. no longer going to invest in anything. They really don't have any reputation or brand to sell. The competition is eating them up. You might as well just divest and liquidate something. Where the value is, is even a customer list. Mm -hmm. A lot of these smaller deals, okay, if you don't have a contract, by the way, you know, if it's just, mm -hmm. you know, $2 million worth of uh, print media or whatever, yeah, they're going to go out and get it. Because you're going out of business. And, you think, and here's the other thing that I've seen. This is where we talk about the timeline. Right. Most Main Street sellers, in my eyes, wait too long. They oh, wait too sure. long due to health, due to divorce, yeah. due to uh, uh, addictions, due to uh, dementia. I've seen death. I've seen liquidations where yeah. the kids end up with the business as they rock. Yeah. Get me a real estate guy and I'm trying to sell. This is a true story. Yeah. In Kansas, selling real estate separate, selling the customer list separate, 
and selling the assets separate, all of them. I get it. Well, you know what? And, and, and we've recommended the, the same. I mean, it's, it's, you know, the big issue is whether or not you shared that with anybody. <laughs> if it, I don't care how you exit, you know, if you want to right. c- close up the doors and sell off the equipment, that's fine. So long as everybody, everybody that's in, in, in your sphere understands that that's what you want to do. If you want to, you want to die with it and they're going to carry you, right. carry you out. Perfect. That, that's fine too. But I guess, I guess, um, you know, I, I'm a little troubled by, by your, the sentiments of Main Street that you're talking about. Cause it, it does seem as though this is a, they're in a, in, in a, in a world of hurt. And I guess I haven't seen that. Um, but it may, but it may be just as a result of, you know, where I'm at. So, I mean, it's, cause I know you're, you're nationwide. What, uh, I mean, what, what is prompting you to say Main Street's in, Main Street printing is in, in, is facing challenges because the big guys are just coming up and, and, you know, better, better bidding. What, what's, what, what prompts you to say that? What prompts you to say that is when I interview, I basically interview our clients, uh-huh. potential clients, because yeah. I get a lot of referrals. You know, I'm big on social media. Okay. All of a sudden I get a call, rock, talk to me, or I'm referred by a, a consultant in the industry, which is yep. great. Okay. Sure. Uh, when it comes down to M&A and buy, sell, Grow, talk to Rock Lamont. So I call them and I basically talk about their history. How did they get there? I talk about their family. I talk about, you know, what are your goals? What are your objectives? Then I start talking about timeline. Okay. And I'm open. We have no NDA. They're sharing with me because I'm asking them the right questions. And if they don't share with me. Okay. So, so I look at the last, since COVID, since COVID. Mm Mm-hmm. People are having a really tough time, and I'm talking to buyers looking at a small business, a Main Street business, mm-hmm. okay? Right. It's very difficult because that potential business owner, I believe, looks at three things themselves initially. When I get their call, okay. I could actually feel which they where they want to go. Most okay. people call me and say, Rock, I want to buy a company. Fifteen minutes later, I'm saying – you should consider selling. Seriously. Okay? Yeah, I'm, now, I'm with you. Number one, during COVID, and I love remote, going remote, right? You and and so on. I'm not traveling. I used to travel 50% of my time and so on. Now it's down to, and it's all relationship driven. Sure. Okay? And, and knowing the families and so on. But I started thinking about what they're thinking about. You know what they're thinking about? Number one, themselves. That's number one in the main sure. street business, themselves. What's going to happen to themselves? Number two, they think about their families. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yep. Number three, they revert back to themselves. They're not thinking about the talent. They're not talking about their, their employees. And believe me, there's no secrets. I've been involved with downsizing. I've been, do- I've been related yeah. to right sizing. You just got to be honest with the people. And if you're young and ambitious and have drive. Yeah. This is the reason why some people decide, you know what, I'm going to start up a business or I'm going to buy a business or whatever. They don't realize that you're not built for entrepreneurism. Yeah. It's unbelievable how difficult it is to build and build a business and grow it and be sustainable. That's why I believe in Warlow's word mm-hmm. is built to sell. 
No, I, I, I don't disagree with you. I, I think the, the only, the only, um, the only thing I would, I would say is, you know, I, I do think that, you know, the, I, I, I guess crystal ball wise, I think, I think it'll be really interesting, you know, even though business owners are, are, you know, especially the aging ones are looking at, you know, I, I'm going to have to sell. Uh, I'm just curious to know how, as a, as the egos of business owners that I know, it, I'll be curious to know whether or not two years from now they're still holding. You know what I mean? That I can out, I can outrun any kind of economic downturn. I'll st- I'll stay the course. I've seen it before, and I can do it. Not and I'm not certain that's a such a hot idea, but nevertheless, it I could foresee a lot of people doing that. What do you think? I think business, like any other sport, to be business is a game, it's a sport. Mm-hmm. It's a young man's game. You think? Oh yeah. I mean, oh, yeah. we're. Seeing- I mean, there's examples of Warren Buffett and all that, but guess what? These guys are investors. Yeah, no, no. But going in Main Street, it's a whole new ballgame, man. I would never go back in the business. Even though I've seen deals out, I said, God, I wish I was 20 years younger. I'd buy this business. (laughs) I'm not 20 years younger. Well, you know, know, I teach at uh, one of the local universities. And and one of the things that's really encouraging is how many many kids, you know, college kids, that, you know, their short-term – you know, their short, short-term plan is to buy a business and they're being taught, you know, how to do it. And I, and to me, that's really encouraging. So to, from one, from one point, you, I, I'm with you on that. It's young man's game. On the other side, I'm seeing people that are being, you know, displaced and are getting into business that are, you know, mm-hmm. 45, 50 years old and buying companies. And that to me, you know, first time buyers to me, that's, that's the, the, you know, I don't want to say the offsetting comment, but that's, you know, we're seeing a lot of that. Well, you had a, a gentleman on your podcast that was uh, downsized the banker. Remember oh, the banker? Right, right, right. Yeah. And he decided to get into the valuation business and so on. Mm-hmm. You know why? He had 20, 20 25 years experience sure. of seeing and being educated and being paid by a corporation but guess what he saw? He saw entrepreneurs. He yeah. saw what it takes to be an entrepreneur. Yeah. Okay. I get it. And I really believe that uh, being an entrepreneur, I call it the three C's. Okay. <laughs> yeah. You got to have the competency sure. to do something. And that takes time, energy, experience, like yep. we're doing. We got a lot of experience. We're competent at what we do. But number two, we're confident at what we do. Right. We're confident that, hey, I know this shit. You know, I know the players. I I know what to do. I know who to talk to. If I don't have the answer. And the third C is commitment. You need to be committed to whatever your passion is. Yeah, no, I I get you. And I'll tell you what. I mean, especially on individual buyers. I mean, we talk more people out of business than into business. They just Mm -hmm. don't understand what they're getting themselves into. Uh, But the good news is that, you know, that that more and more buyers are becoming more educated before they get to us. And that's, that's the good news. Well, well look, just one more thing. Yeah. Remember the score. I've been part of score. 
which uh-huh. is the uh, yeah. senior uh, uh, volunteer mentorship and so on. Yeah. 99.9% are dreamers. Sure. <laughs> okay. And that's what a lot of people do. But it's cheap to go to score at no cost versus going to a business broker and spending <laughs> a lot of time and get basically being led into something that might not be the right thing to do. You see? Well, so it's very important. I have three kids, all over 40. And mm-hmm. my deal here is they're all successful. They're all one's a, uh, 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 basically a family office. Nice. He did a roll up of uh, dental offices, you know, yeah. and, you know, we're all experienced and knowledgeable. But most people that I know that are in the world of investment mm-hmm. have a financial background. It's very, very important. Yeah. No, no. But I mean, we can we can make a whole show over over right. uh, over those people. Um, since we're bumping up on time and I want to be sensitive to your time. You know, my last question is, you know, what I ask this of everybody, what, you know, what is the one thing that you could share to a business owner that would have the greatest impact on their business? I would say, and this is from my father. Okay. Always do the right thing. That's because when you're in business, you're going to be tempted to do things that might not be the right thing. And that includes nice. people, suppliers, uh, your family, mm-hmm. everything. So nice. it's integrity is very, very important in my world. And uh, that's why I feel like we have generations of our family. That's what we have is a reputation of doing nice. the right thing. That's that's a good one. So, Rock, where where can everybody find you? I mean, I'll have everything in the show notes, but where where can we find you? I'm easy. It's rocklamana.com, R-O-C-K-L-A-M-A-N-N-A.com. I have multiple websites. I'm on social media. You are. YouTube, uh, got a podcast. I got a few other things going on, and uh, but I love what I do. I enjoy what I do, and I really love helping people achieve whatever they're trying to achieve. Nice. If it's if it's a positive thing. Yeah. Well, as always, my friend, it is a pleasure to talk to you. I'm I'm sorry it's not in person, but uh, maybe maybe we'll do it long, again. We'll we'll see it soon. As All I right. always say, see you in the marketplace. All right, my friend. Thanks so much. God bless, man. Likewise. See you. Thank you for joining us today on the How to Sell Your Business podcast. If you want more episodes packed with strategies to help sell your business for the maximum value, visit howtosellabusinesspodcast.com for tips and best practices to make your exit life-changing. Better yet, subscribe now so you never miss future episodes. This program is copyrighted by MISO Inc. All rights reserved. 